Welcome to Mag's Mind. I'm your host, Zach Wiseman. We'll be exploring current trends in impact, work, life, and community. In the meantime, we invite you to sit back, listen in, and come sail away with us. Today I'm joined by Joanne Sunshine, founder of Connective Impact, founding MAG member, and partnership strategist, and what I would venture to call a partnership expert. In today's episode, we're going to talk about what it means to be a good partner, both in work, from a partnership's perspective, but also in life as a significant other, as well as a parent. Thanks so much for joining us. Our uh, 10,000 listeners or so have been uh, clamoring for a second episode, so here we are. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to be the second episode, and it's really exciting to, to have the mag mind out there to the masses. So really thrilled to be a part of it. Thanks. Yeah. And, and we're thrilled to have you have played such a vital role in it so far to date. Um, really looking forward to our conversation. I think um, for our listeners, you know, I also wanted to give some context into how you and I have known each other for the last couple of years and, and been able to work together. Um, some would call you all things partnership, partnership strategist, and an expert in that space. And, you know, I can reflect years ago, do you recall how we kind of initially met and were collaborating on a potential project? I do, I do. It feels like a lot longer than a few years ago. It feels like we've, we've kind of known each other forever. But um, <laughs> I, I do remember you reaching out and it was to talk about partnership. And, um, you know, it was, it was exciting because at the time you were kind of working in the agency world and I was, I had been working, um, I started Connective Impact in 2014. So this was, you know, probably a couple of years in um, and had a client who I think, you know, was interested in, in, um, engaging a little bit in what you were working on at the time. So when you reached out, it was a good time, I think, for both of us just to start that partnership dialogue, which is, which is always kind of a, a good way to kick off uh, a collaborative discussion. Absolutely. Yeah. And yeah, and it does. I think especially given the state of the world right now, 2017 feels like 50 years ago. Um, <laughs> or we're all aging My quickly. Goodness. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was working at a traditional creative agency at the time. And you know, uh, oddly, as you know, like in my career, I've been in, done some wildlife conservation work. I know you have too. And, you know, mine was centered around media. And this was for an agency to do a creative campaign for some wildlife work. And, uh, you know, I had this thought as part of the team, like, well, how do we really embed this work, this project? You know, how does this go beyond a traditional or what some might call a traditional creative project, you know, where... Mm organization hires agency, agency does project, and organization is left thinking, well, that, that looked great, that got some buzz, but it didn't really change us, you know, and I think it led me to explore, like, who out there is, you know, understands the partnership space, and how do we embed this work, so I think it was yeah. us connecting, right. and me wanting to bring you into the project, and say, help us really, you know, understand who the organization is working with and how this campaign can really bolster their work. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it was, and I was working for a, a, an association. One of my, my clients at the time was a, an association, a standards association who was trying to figure out how to shift some of their messaging a little bit here in the U S as a global organization still is. Um, and I think you and I had some really great brainstorming about this idea of agency traditional work being embedded in some of the work that I was doing at the time, which was around international development. So um, I will say I'm really glad that neither of those projects worked out because I don't think <laughs> MAG would have, would have been, uh, been developed if they had. That's such a good point. I, I think you're, I 100% agree. I think it, it came from, yeah, you could see it's really interesting. Both of us from our, those respect, uh, you know, respective roles kind of thinking, how do we improve this? How do we, this yeah. got to be like a better way. And you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, we did. We talked, we talked for, for many, many hours uh, when those projects didn't come to fruition about, you know, how can we keep this exciting energy um, kind of going and, and how do we continue to work together, even though those projects that we had thought maybe we could work together around um, didn't come to fruition. So, and here we are. Right, right. Silver lining. Um, exactly. And yeah, you and I have also had the chance since that, and, and you've been influential in helping us build and, and get MAG off the ground. And we've had the chance to work together, helping launch a global nonprofit, helping a large tech company really look at how they work with nonprofits and how they partner with nonprofits. You know, I think you and I have had the chance to really work on some really exciting projects again to that point can't believe it's really only been like two years um but one of the things i really want to dive into with you is both in the professional space in the personal space because i i know you well and we've become friends like what does it what does it mean to be a good partner because i think again timeliness of this conversation everybody's at home now and all of a sudden partner you know, the relationship partners, the parent partners, work partnerships, also seriously, you know, coming together and how do we face challenges like this? And yeah, I'd yeah. love to kind of explore with you in, in your work. Like, what does it really mean to be a good partner? Um, or if anything jumps out at you? Yeah, and it's, it's a good point because um, so Connective Impact is, is a partnership strategy consulting company and we help mission-driven companies and international nonprofits partner with each other to address the sustainable development goals and help amplify impact. Um, and oftentimes when, when I'm out there pitching the work, I'll say, you know, we'll help you find the right partner. And recently I had somebody actually kind of pushed back on that and say, well, how do you define what the right partner is? Mm -hmm. What does that really mean? And I think that's kind of your question is, wh what do we mean when we say that this is the right type of partnership? And, you know, how are, you know, you and I have been now partnered around MAG for several years, and you've been a great advisor to Connective Impact. How did that partnership succeed when other partnerships I've had with, with other colleagues haven't? Mm. Um, and I often mm -hmm. think about partnership really as, um, as any kind of strong relationship. It's, it's give and take and push and pull. And thinking about this idea of mutual benefit and, and how those who are engaged in a partnership are able to benefit from what the other has to, to bring, um, but then can also offer so much. Um, and so and I'm also an economist and one of my favorite economic concepts is this idea of comparative advantage, which essentially means that I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. Mm. You know what you're good at 
And you also know what you're not good at. So it's like, how do we meld the things that we both kind of know we need help with so that the partnership really becomes kind of a, a combination of, of two, you know, to one. And the same holds really in any relationship, an effective, you know, marriage partnership, an effective partnership with family or children. It's thinking about how do you kind of, you know, pick the right battles and think about, you know, what what role you should play in a partnership versus what the other role should be to kind of ensure the strength is there as a whole. Mm. Did I hear you say that I, I might not have all the answers or I, I might not be <laughs> good at everything? <laughs> I? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe just a few things. I, oh, okay. I, when you were asking me how, you know, I would define my role as a partnership strategist, I think I jokingly said I'm the knower of all things, <laughs> um, which is not true. But if you were to ask my husband, he would probably say that I think that that is true. Um, yeah. <laughs> right, so, right. No, we don't all know everything. or We all we need partners. But that's a really good point. Like what defines, how do you define good? How do you define effective? How do you define, you know, if you think about partnerships as, yeah, I'm sure lots of listeners have worked in partnerships professionally, obviously have relationships, kids, significant others, et cetera, that I think probably through all of it, it there are times when that partnership and that relationship is not good or can have there can be some tension or there can be some challenges to it and that kind of hearing you say too how do you and i know you do this in your work too how do you constantly kind of evaluate and and reassess these partnerships and understand you know how does that feed definition of good partnership how does that also feed into learning and growing and changing and Right. Knowing what you bring to the table, but also understanding that there's always room for improvement, learning together and kind of always reinventing yourself. Do, do you feel, I mean, in your work, you've probably seen tons of conflict around partnerships. Is that, is that fair to say? Is, is... Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I, I'll never forget when I first started the company, I, I kind of took myself on a series of meetings to meet with a, a bunch of companies who you know, I essentially wanted to work with as a consultant. And I went to um, sit down with a, a pretty large food company at the time. And, you know, we were talking about partnerships. How do you define effective partnerships for your company? What's been working for you? That kind of thing. And I'll never forget one of the leaders within this company said, well, we haven't really thought about it. <laughs> like we haven't, they hadn't evaluated their partnerships and they had partners they had been working with for decades. Wow, and it was it was shocking to me that they hadn't taken a step back and actually thought, is this the right partner? You know, should we be working with a different partner? Should we maybe tweak some things in this partnership? And one of the things that that I always advise clients around is take the time to build, you know, evaluation and uh, and monitoring into your partnership agreements or your partnership contracts or even just even informal conversations. So that you force yourself to take a step back and ask, is this working? Mm. Just like you would in any relationship and, and evaluating roles, evaluating whether, you know, the deliverables you've agreed to are actually going to come to fruition. And that your point about evaluation is so critical because an effective partnership, it does change, it does evolve and it can be very dynamic. So you have to think about how to make sure you're kind of tracking and that the things that matter continue to evolve along with the relationship. Hmm. And maybe there's a sense of 
you, the organization, or you, the self, could be the one who changed and you maybe didn't even know it or you, you become. Absolutely. Right. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing, I mean, you mentioned kind of we're in this time of coronavirus um, and, you know, this, this podcast may live for, for centuries beyond coronavirus. I hope it does. But <laughs> we'll look back at this time and think about partnerships so differently because, you know, you have to adjust now to the reality of everything being virtual and not being able to be kind of face to face with your partners or, you know, your stakeholders or those who, who, you know, really inform your decision making. And that partnership skill set is shifting. So now we have to take everything we've learned about engaging with partners and checking in with them, having the relationships, you know, being in front of them on a regular basis. Now we have to think about how to do that virtually. Um, It doesn't, you know, uh, you know, make any less the importance of doing these kind of check-ins and the periodic um, evaluation of whether the partnership is, is proceeding in the right way, but it's just changing the how, which is really interesting and um, and challenging. It's almost like being in a long-distance relationship. <laughs> totally. <laughs> interesting. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I'm hearing trust. I mean, there has to be in your partnerships, in your partners organizationally speaking for this context is, yeah, how do you build trust? How do you understand that there's shared pursuit, shared vision, in exactly to your point in this kind of new normal win right now, maybe less FaceTime, you know, yeah. but you have to have some baseline of trust. How do you see, is it often leaps of faith of trust? Is it, have you seen trust be able to be rebuilt in partnerships that maybe fell apart or organizations who are you know, burned, had bad experience with partners in the past? I mean, is it something that is fluid if given the right time and attention and energy? I think so. One of the the values that we bring as as partnership consultants is helping to facilitate that. Um, So oftentimes we'll have organizations come to us who have had a really difficult time with a partner. And, And by the way, we define partners quite broadly. So a partner may be an implementing partner, might be a thought leadership partner. In many cases, it's a funding partner or a, a partner um, who's joining forces to fund a program or a project. And particularly when you're talking about the exchange of money or um, intellectual property or something like that, it can get kind of tricky in terms of you know what the expectations may be and, and the deliverables. And so we've had organizations come to us and say, you know, we've had horrible experience working with this type of of partner. And, you know, Mm. we, we are kind of, we've given up the fact that we can work with them. And what's nice about having an intermediary like Connective Impact kind of jump in and, and do a lot of the partnership work on behalf of our clients is we can help identify where that point of intersection lies. And like I talked about before, this idea of comparative advantage so that it makes it easier for organizations to want to partner because we've done a lot of the legwork for them. Mm. So the, the relationship building piece is still important. But the trust building piece becomes easier because we've been able to identify what we think each of the parties bring to a partnership. And we can say, like, here's the bottom line. Let's be really honest. Here's what this partner is going to bring to you. And here's what you bring to them. So let's kind of throw out all the BS and get down to it and, like, really establish something that's going to be impactful for the both of you. Hmm. It sounds like with that, having some tough conversations. Like, I think, you know, some people know, some don't. Like, I started a career in finance and I too studied okay. economics and, you know, quickly transitioned out of that space. But one of the, as I got engrossed in the nonprofit world, 
I didn't know. I thought, of course, like all organizations who are working to save the elephants, like we're going to do everything <laughs> we possibly can to save the elephants. I was like, oh, wait, oh, there are egos. Oh, oh, there is competition for funding. Like, oh, you know, right. oh, this barrier, this barrier. And so, you know, in those partnerships, right, how do you have those difficult conversations? How do you kind of cut out the BS, especially if you're talking about an interest of a shared pursuit? Is that, yeah. Is that, yeah. Yeah, right. no, that's absolutely right. That's absolutely right. And I would say too, right now, you know, I, I don't know how this resonates with, with you or the thinking is, yes, yeah, is, is especially when you see something like coronavirus take over so quickly and, you know, create this new normal. To me, I, I just can't really escape the thinking of how do we all become more efficient in collaborating in coming together, kind of cutting out some of that bullshit and trying to really solve problems. You know, I think mm. it, it seems like, you know, and on news and social media and talking to folks, you know, like you and I have worked remotely in various capacities for a while. One of the things I've always said about working remotely is it cuts out a lot of the fat. Like you are sitting there yeah. with your work, right? <laughs> and yeah. yeah, In my case, right. a you- screaming child in the background and in your case, you know, <laughs> sports on in the background, but there's, you've been the work and there's no more fluff. And so you really feel the work quickly. And I'm wondering if there's some, you know, intersection or something that's going to come out of this that we're going to see, you know, a people evaluating their own work and especially in light of a really global challenge and people losing their lives and getting sick and losing jobs. Like, are people going to evaluate and say like, what am I doing? in my work, you know, maybe my work wasn't as impactful as I wanted it to be, or, or organization is going to say, gosh, we really leaned on a partner. We really came together and collaborated because we had to in order to survive. And is that going to boost, you know, how we define partnerships and how we define impact moving forward? I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing that, that I keep thinking about is before all of this happened, there was this growing movement around, um, you know, balance, right? Work-life balance and trying to like self-care. And it was like becoming obsessive that we were all working too much <laughs> and checking our phones 24 yes. seven. And this obviously forcing us to pause. I mean, we have no choice. We're in a very different dynamic. We can't work 24 seven because many of us are dealing with, you know, like you said, kids playing, you know, hockey in the background while I'm trying to be on a conference call. <laughs> um, so, so that, that work-life balance is, is being kind of thrust in our face and we have to figure out how to deal with it. And one thing that I'm curious about from a partnership perspective is how are people going to realize they cannot do it all alone? And one of the things that, you know, I found in dealing with big companies in particular is and I had this conversation with a corporate executive one time who essentially said to me, listen, you know, what you're doing is really great. We really, you know, we really believe in sustainable development goals. We really believe in, you know, doing our part to change the world, but we've got it. We've, we've got it. We don't, we don't really need any help. You know, we've, we've right. figured it out. And that's, you know, that, that is not possible these days. Like you cannot address some of these big kind of challenges, climate change, access to clean water, poverty alleviation, obviously, given what we're in now, without relying on other people right. and or other organizations. And so I actually think being forced to, to take a step back and, you know, have that balance be thrust in your face, we are going to all need to rely on our partners so much more than ever before. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. For some, When you were 
when you're giving that example, I, my head went to sports. I, I don't, I don't know. I think about sports a lot and I know your household does as well. <laughs> Everything from the three capitals, boys. right. Yeah. Three boys, DC, all things sports. Yes. And, and, yeah. uh, and your Cleveland Browns, God help you. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yes, we talk about Baker Mayfield a lot in my house. Nobody judge. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but it's like, do I always, I always sort of think back about sports and work and you know what lessons from sports in some sense and some people play team sports some people played individual sports I played a team sport in basketball and you had five four other partners on the court whether you wanted them or not <laughs> right yeah. it was a team Good point, yeah and how do you mesh how do you gel but there was there was these it was a space where you could have difficult conversations right you could you could pick each other up you could you had to obviously be encouraging but you could tell somebody to get it together you know and and mm. and it to be taken in the right context and knowing that you were you know working towards a, a shared goal to win to blah 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 um and obviously in professional sports you have egos and things like that but i always think about that dynamic of sports is kind of, kind of having forced partners in some sense and yeah. How do you have real conversations and are there some takeaways like in the working world that we can continue to kind of try and bring from the sports world? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. And, um, you know, thinking about competition and um, the kind of the cutthroat nature of a lot of the, the organizations that, that you and I both work with, you know, pretty, pretty big organizations that have, um, you know, pretty strict uh, requirements around like profit and profit and loss and, and needing to, right. to, you know, show a return, a financial return and also a social return. Um, and so that competition is innate in the work that they're doing. And that pressure is, is real. And it is very much akin to a team sport where their pressure is there to kind of quote unquote win. Um, I know Simon Sinek just wrote a book and I haven't read it yet about, you know, essentially saying that, the, that this notion of competition is, is, is BS and that it's really, there is no end game for competition. It's really all about the journey. And I, I love that. I think that's absolutely right. And, and to me, that also brings it back to the importance of collaboration, because if, you know, it's not just about the making the money, it's not just about, you know, showing, showing those dollar figures. It's about getting there and you are going to need others along that journey with you to be able to show that, that return that, you know, that bottom line. Right. Right. Exactly, especially in terms of solving big issues and coming together and and having the right end goal in mind. It isn't all about winning. Do you feel, I mean, capitalism just drives so much of that. I mean, I I know you've worked with a lot of, you know, purpose-driven brands, you've worked with NGOs. There seems to be sort of this prevailing sense, and maybe it's just me, that no model, no business model, no, I know you're also a B Corp member with Connective Impact, which is amazing. Yeah. There's no good, no model is perfect, whether it's, you know, you can contrast that to like we're seeing almost in coronavirus, like capitalism versus, you know, not capitalism or communism to some sense and the pros and cons yeah. both ways. I mean, from the business models that you've worked with, like, there are so many pros and cons. I mean, have you seen some, and I know you've worked on some pretty interesting partnerships that crossed business lines where you have a nonprofit yeah. partnering with a for-profit and has that been a 
a model that has you've seen be fruitful in crossing those organizational lines? It depends. Um, so, you know, I've, I've written two books and in my second book, my second book is called Purposeful Profits Inside Successful Companies Making a Positive Global, global Impact. Um, and in that book, I talk a lot about this. And, and one of the examples that I give um, without calling them out, I talk about a company that has a really bad reputation globally. It's an agribusiness company, you can probably guess. <laughs> and when I was working for, <laughs> when I was working for an, an international NGO, we were partnered with this company and we got a lot of flack for it. Mm. Um, but the people inside this company were like the real deal. And I know they're still there. They're good friends. They are so passionate about changing the world and doing the right thing. And as an NGO program director at the time, that was what we were trying to facilitate was working with this company to do the right thing. And in that sense, that was a great partnership because the company, while having just crap, you know, PR scenarios that they were dealing with at all times, and we were getting backlash for working with them, we kind of threw that aside and said, you know what, who cares, let's just get some good work done and, mm. you know, try to change the world. Mm. And in that case, if you're, if you're on the same page, you know, kind of values wise, and you're on the same page about what you're trying to achieve, a partnership can, a partnership can be super successful. In some cases, companies will only want to work with NGOs because they think it's the right thing to do. And that, that values alignment is just not there. Um, and there are B Corps who have amazing values who aren't aligned with other types of purpose-driven companies. So, it, you know, the the moniker of like purpose-driven or NGO or uh, mission-driven or social enterprise are all great. But if the if that point of intersection, that that sense of mutual benefit, or that you know, I think about it as a Venn diagram, that middle portion that's shaded out in a Venn diagram when you're thinking about a partnership, if that is not there it's just not going to work. And so it is imperative to find that. And it's, and it's hard to do. And, and frankly, that's one of the reasons I started Connective Impact was to help organizations find that. Because when you're in the work and you're kind of deep, you know, in the thought and the planning and the budgets and blah, 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 you're not able to take a step back and see what that shaded section really looks like and what it means to kind of change the world that way. Interesting. That's a, that's a really good point. I mean, that's, yeah, and I'm going to go out on a limb. I think the company's name rhymes, rhymes with Tom's Manto, um, but <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but No longer. Now it rhymes with Sayer. Well, true, yeah. true. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Talking yeah, no, about and, and two great industries or, you know, two great <laughs> sectors merging. Yeah. No, exactly. And yeah. you and I have talked uh, about that before, the, the people, right? People, the pe- really good, well-meaning people to this day still just, beating down the, the walls to do the right thing. Right, right. There's something, that, you know, in, in learning about your work and in collaborating with you on some big and small projects, there's something that, you know, I think about confidence in this sense. You know, I, I have one of my closest friends, um, I won't say him by name, and <laughs> I don't know why. His name rhymes with Monsanto, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Name rhymes with Schmeg. Um, but is he he has always i've always admired him because he has a lot of confidence and he can he can rub people the wrong way he's a hor- he gives off horrible first impressions um can come mm-hmm. across cocky all those things but he's not but he's he's very smart and he has a lot of confidence but he always you know we've known each other for 20 years now and he if there was something he didn't understand or you you were explaining a concept to him he 
he would say, I don't, I don't get it. Or can you mm. explain that? Or what do you mean? And there's something about that. Like he had that confidence in what he knew and, and what he didn't know, you know, and mm-hmm. I think I'm hearing you say too, and there's, there's a lot of that organizationally, you know, in partnerships and as a significant other, right. And parent, like there's things we know and there's things we don't know. And how do, how do you, you know, how do we instill that confidence in folks that you don't have to have all the answers, you know, and I think yeah. culturally there's such a pressure to, with everything going on to, you know, to, to say, I don't know, let me think about that. You know, when, yeah, did, when, when do you true. encounter that? Right. How do you carve out the time? But there's something in that partnerships. If I'd love to get your thoughts on how do you, you know, if you have a baseline level of confidence, you're okay to say, look, we're good at some things and we're not so good at other things. This is where we need help. Like, Here's what we have to offer, which is great. And we're confident in it, but we know we can't do it all, nor should we. You know, is that, uh, I don't know how that resonates with you. Yeah, I think it's a really important, important point. I mean, and particularly now with, with this concept of effective leadership and, and leaders being able to admit that they don't have all the answers. I mean, that's something we're struggling with, you know, politically in the U.S. Sure. right now, too. I think, you know, one thing that, that I've learned over the years in managing partnerships and, and being involved in them myself is some of the most forward-thinking, um, inspiring you know, kind of um, like manifest destiny type of leaders are the first to admit that they don't know. And mm. you're right, it takes confidence. It takes, it takes a really good leader and um, somebody to stand up and say, we can't do this alone. We want to be able to solve a problem. We cannot do it alone. Let's figure out how we can ask for help. And right. asking for help is so hard. I mean, you know, I, I as a mom, I have found myself in situations where I'm like exhausted and working and haven't slept and I'm trying to do everything around the house. And I have a wonderful partner and my husband who does just as much around the house as I do. And he's exhausted too. And we both struggle with asking either the other one or others for help. I mean, this Mm. is a, this is one of the bigger challenges I think of our generation. And yet when you finally find that confidence or that, you know, whatever that kind of, sense of, of reality that you can't do it all alone and you ask for help so much benefit comes from it that that has you know like exceeded uh positivity beyond just being able to solve that immediate problem right like mm-hmm. in a household asking mm-hmm. for help can have positive ramifications for the entire family in a company asking for help has positive ramifications for the company and also the greater good that they're trying to spread so that's an, a great point that taking that first step and saying, okay, we don't have all the answers. Let's figure out how to ask for help. Let's figure out who the right partners are and then we can get moving. Right. Right. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Right. And it's not like you're, you're not saying I'm wrong or you're not saying, you know, I'm in You're not or, good enough. Right. You're bad. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. It's like, no, I have strengths and you have strengths, you know, in case of, my marriage, like I pretty much have all the strengths and my wife has very few. <laughs> yeah, just right. kidding. Yeah. Same here, obviously. <laughs> right, obviously, right. right. <laughs> oh, but here is. It, and, and it's uh, such a good point about kids. I mean, you know, I have a 16-month-old first kid and yeah, like you're in such a new territory, you have to ask for help, you know, or yeah. it literally doesn't doesn't work. Um, yeah, it's a really, it's a really yeah. interesting point of, of striking that balance. And how that applies to organizations, how that applies to 
solving problems, you know, being yeah. comfortable, asking for help, knowing that you have the confidence or knowing that it's okay to ask for help, you know, and it's yeah, not, that's right. if you have your, I think what I'm hearing you say too, is if you have your eye on the right path, the right vision, the right end goal, maybe it's not winning. It's not a quarterly shareholder report. It's, you know, not your stock price, but if you have your eye on creating change and helping others and creating a sustainable business or a more profitable business model or solving a world's problem, then I think asking for that help has a totally different context. It's like we're, I'm bringing you in or I'm needing help because I want to go there. And this is, yeah. I have a, a, an end goal in mind or we have a vision that we need to collaborate on together. Yeah, and actually, I mean, one of the, in, in our partnership work, we've got six steps that we usually take our clients through. And the first step, which is an absolutely mandatory step, we don't let anyone go anywhere without doing this, is we do a priority setting exercise. And that's because, to your point, figuring out where an organization needs the help and kind of what they're able to handle on their own, what they're doing well on their own, what, what's working, we set aside and we say, what, what, where do you need the help? Let's, let's really prioritize and find kind of that, those top, you know, one to three areas where partnerships are going to be most beneficial. And so that's, you know, something that we think is incredibly useful in our work. And, and I think, you know, would probably be translatable in a lot of areas of work when you, we start out really just getting down to it, like, let's, Let's figure out, you know, what, what the real need is here before we do anything else. Right, right. Absolutely. Do some really solid priority setting. You make me think of, yeah. you know, in a totally different context, uh, Kevin, my wife, has, she makes us have expectation conversations, <laughs> which <laughs> kind of like priority setting, right? It's like, what are yeah. this big wedding or this vacation or <laughs> having a child, whatever. What are your expectations? I love it. Right. I might, and, have, I might have to steal that. Yeah. And we have been totally off before. Like our expectations have been totally different. I'm like, oh, we're going to relax. We're going to have a, you know, quiet time. We're going to read. And she was like, what? I thought we were going to do, you know, every tour and the helicopter ride and whatever <laughs> under the sun. <laughs> right. Right. But that that's is, hilarious. It is. It's expectations. It's priorities. It's focus in that sense. Yeah. That's right. That's right. What do you think, what's, Joanne, for, for everybody listening, like what are, you know, in, this, in these uncertain times and in, in the difficulties that we're all seeing globally right now and we're going to continue to weather the storm, I'm confident, but we're going to see, right, it's putting strains on ways of life, it's putting strain on, you know, professionals, uh, in personal lives, it's, you know, even more so time for organizations to to really come together, to lean on each other, to partner, to bring their strengths to the table. And same in, you know, in everybody's respective households and, and in their own personal lives. Um, any, besides what we've covered, any, any pearls of wisdom that, that can, you can save us all with? <laughs> um, we're desperate. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the whole idea of like communication and compromises can be so important. And you know, this is obviously critical for partnerships, right? The site, we talked about it a little bit before, these like, um, what do we call them? Go, no, go points. We call them that in, in the partnership strategy where you mm. kind of create, you know, 
every three months or six months you have your go, no go conversation. Are we going to continue or are we going to make some adjustments? And I think that's true of, of a, a personal relationship, right? We're all in the same house together. Like we've got to have like really clear communication around, you know, what time's your call? And here my call's at 11. So, you know, I have to make sure my husband doesn't have a call at 11 in case our kids, you know, need help with their Zoom conferences with their teachers. And mm-hmm. we have to communicate that um, and have, you know, a real kind of understanding of what, um, of what we might have to shift and, and adjust. And I, I think that's going to be probably the, this idea of compromise and communication are going to be two of the most critical uh, qualities we'll need to possess as partners. The other thing I'll say, and you know this because I've talked about it probably incessantly is this idea, and you mentioned <laughs> it before, of, fo- of focus. Um, I've always struggled with, with kind of staying staying on task because I, I like to chase shiny objects and it's like the worst possible scenario for me because I just would go off in so many tangents. <laughs> so I think as, as we're working as professionals, we've, we've really got to focus and do that priority setting and do, like you said, the managing expectations. Let's just, let's be really good in, you know, at one or two things as we're managing this crisis and not try to do it all reach out for help when we need it and, and just keep moving. And, and that's what I'm telling myself as a business owner. That's, you know, you and I have talked a lot about that as, as MAG members and, and trying to keep the, you know, the wheels moving for MAG. Um, it's just, it's just to, to focus on things that, that we can control and, and keep the, keep the bus moving forward. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And it's always it's always comforting to hear you explain that for folks the first time and to rearticulate it to me. I mean, I think the, you know, in, in learning a lot through our relationship, the notion of priority setting and reevaluate those priorities change and those priorities can change from come from within or they can change from as we're seeing right now, a global pandemic, you know, and, and yeah, knowing okay. that you set priorities, but it's not set in stone and it's constantly yeah. evaluating. And I think I heard you say, you know, there's something, you know, the change, the quote about, you know, change starts with, with change starts within, you know, I think there's something about that too. And I really like the, the go, no go, um, if I (laughs) point, I'm going to, I think probably use that in arguments too. be like, this is a, this is a no go point for me. This is a no go. (laughs) Yeah. Second child is a no go. We are, I'm reevaluating yeah. my partnership. <laughs> I read something that said, you know, everyone's talking about the baby boom of the coronavirus and the kids will be called Generation C. And oh, everyone, God. <laughs> there was this, this comment that um, anyone who essentially gets pregnant during this whole thing, it, it must be their first kid. Yeah. Because anyone with kids right now, it's, it's so stressful that you're like, I can't do this again. I'm not right. having <laughs> Yes. It's, it's a good reminder of why did, who, why did we sign up for this? This was, yeah, yeah. Did this to ourselves. No, I, I mean, kidding, of course, with, within some right. context. No, it's, but, it's just so funny. Yeah. But I really like the, yeah, the go, no go moments. And I think that's really, it's really important for that, for constantly evaluating focus for, shifting through the noise, you know, I think we're in, we're in a really interesting time, the intersection of technology, a uh, global country, or excuse me, uh, globalization around the world, mm-hmm. you know, and, and now facing, you know, I think if for folks who are into, you know, understand climate change, you know, we've been warned of some of these things over, over time, and a lot are really coming into fruition, I think it's, but understanding that, 
you know, the value of partnerships, the value of coming together, setting priorities, having that confidence and, you know, what you know, and what you don't know and how to lean on each other. I think that's a really, really important message. And, and thank you for sharing so many of those insights and, and pearls of wisdom. So I, I, I really appreciate that. And thank you for taking the time, Joanne. Thank you so much, Zach, for having me and for starting this podcast. I'm really excited to see how it evolves. And um, yeah, always great to, to chat with you. And I'm sure we'll be continuing our chats uh, for the foreseeable future. Oh, I have one more question for you. I'm going to put you on the okay. spot here. I need you to explain again to probably, I think we're like 10,000 active listeners now. Um, <laughs> something like that, I forget. But need you explain the man versus bear show. I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> Uh, you told me you were going to ask me. No, I I, uh, I joked around that my house is, is full of, I have two kids and a, and a husband, so three boys who are sports obsessed, like every possible <laughs> yes. thing. Yes. And I walked into, we, we didn't have sports on one Sunday, and I walked into our family room and the kids were, and, and my husband were <laughs> obsessively watching this show called Man vs. Bear. It was, it, was, it was almost like fake how obsessed they were with the show. It's a bear and a metal ball a metal uh, cage that's the shape of a ball fighting against a man who is essentially trying to push the metal cage like into a pit (laughs) and it's on discovery channel. I love discovery channel. They're wonderful. I know like people that work there, it's a great organization, but it was like a little over the top for discovery channel. So it's like all these competitions between the bear and the cage and the man, man versus bear and the kids, they watched it for two hours. Like it was, the greatest world series game that they've ever watched. Meanwhile, both all of their teams have won national championships, the capitals, the nationals, and here they are watching man versus bear. Like this is, <laughs> this is what we've come to without sports. Well, I know when you, when you told us about it, it was right. Half, half funny story, half maybe cry for help, I think, right. <laughs> but it like, begs the question. I said, I said, it's my t- I, it's time for me to buy, build my she shed. It's real. I, I need, a, I need a place. I need to go somewhere. Yes, I think after that it's well deserved. But it begs the question: who who won, man or bear? <laughs> well, I, I think the man always wins. That's a oh. good question. Actually, you just have to tune in and find out. You know? <laughs> okay, There's a lot of time. You've got plenty of man versus bear episodes. I'm sure you can. Airing Tuesdays yeah. at eight seven central. No, I, I <laughs> <Right>. don't. <know> <laughs> <laughs> well, Joanne, exactly. thank you so much. Pleasure as always, and thanks for everyone for tuning in. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for joining this episode of Mag's Mind. For more information about Mag, our community, and our work, please visit magcollective.com, M-A-G collective.com. Thanks for listening, and until then, 